Our native languages are verbs. They're verb-driven, they're action-driven, they're not nouns. And so it's always talking. So when you ask somebody for a simple translation, sometimes that word means even more. So like a word for truth, you know, in English, it's real black and white. In native language, it means if it comes from your heart and it leaves your mouth, therefore it's true. It isn't black and white like English. So because it started in your heart and it leaves your mouth, it's true. You may not agree with that person, but they're speaking their truth because of where it started. What if the way in which we're thinking about wealth is all wrong? What if there are ways to live together in a way that brings more prosperity for more of us? What does it mean to live a good life and to do it in community? My name is Gibran Rivera, and this is my podcast. I am a teacher, a guide, a coach, and mainly a facilitator, and Here I am inviting you into a conversation with remarkable leaders who are devoting their lives to the evolution of consciousness and culture. With this episode, I am delighted to be introducing you to my friend, Pamela Standing. Pamela is a fountain of wisdom. She is a source of that sort of heartfelt joy and laughter that is embodied by people who hold a deep understanding of what it means to walk well upon this earth. Pamela is a citizen of Cherokee Nation, and in her work, she endeavors to close the disparity gap through cooperative work and collaboration. Her work is about forming partnerships and alliances that ultimately result in the sharing of resources. She is committed to an indigenous way of thinking way of being and way of life. I feel so privileged to count her as a friend that I can't wait for you to get to know her. I want to invite you to give this episode a little bit of time. In the beginning, we talk about some of the things that might feel more familiar to those of us that are concerned with the way people get invisibilized. So we talk about that, but soon enough, we get into deep wisdom about how to live, about what the elders teach, and about how to walk better upon the earth. Let me know what you think and enjoy it. Pamela Standing, my dear friend, I am so excited to be connecting with you again. I am looking forward for our listeners to get to know you and your story and your work and to hear your wisdom. So I'm just thrilled to be reconnecting with you here and in this way. Well, thank you for asking me to do this. And I just have missed you so much. You know, there's people that you meet in your life that you just make a connection with. Yeah. And I've just always felt that way about you. That so, is a powerful and mutual feeling. That's why that's why I really want my friends. I could to... kidnap you and take you home. <laughs> <laughs> 
Jabron in the pocket. <laughs> I'm sure I would enjoy that too. Let me ask you a question to get started here, Pamela. I want people to get to know you and your work, but I've been starting the podcast asking people about a belief that they once held to be true, that going to shape their identity, that they don't longer hold in the same way, that they've either questioning or even dismissed. And the reason why I like to start with that question is because I feel we're living through a time where people seem to be doubling down on their beliefs, right? And we're like bunkering off. And it's not going to be until we acknowledge that growth and development mean changing your mind um, that we'll be able to get through this through this kind of insane polarization that we're dealing with. And so that's the impetus behind my question. So I'm wondering if you could tell us of one. Something that... I, I, and I've struggled with it most of my life is that, you know, you're supposed to forgive people mm-hmm. when they hurt or harm you. Yeah. And, um, and, and, and it's tied to self-forgiveness mm-hmm. too, as well. The, the two are so interlinked, um, interconnected. And um, what, I, what I really learned that it's okay to forgive people and release them to their own higher good but I don't have to bring those people back in my life and allow them to re-injure me or re-hurt me because they're not in a place on their own journey where they can take responsibility for their own behavior or toxicity. Powerful. So that's something that really freed me this year was that, well, last year, it was in 2020, um, it was when I realized that Um, what I'd always done, I was taught, you know, you forgive people, but then you let them right back in your life and they re-injure you all over again because they're not in a good place. And now I know that I can forgive and let go of that person. And maybe someday they'll come back and we'll be able to have a conversation. But until that time, I don't have to open my door and allow them to come in and out. That's so beautiful and so powerful. That really resonates for me. It's the power of a of a good boundary, you know? And a boundary is not a wall, right? A boundary is just a way to say yes to yourself so that mm-hmm. you can say yes to others. And mm-hmm. I'm really moved by what you're saying. And it feels resonant. I feel like we both do work and spend time in communities where people are hurt mm-hmm. and, and it's so hard to dis- to discern right like in this case i feel like i have the boundaries and the composure and the energy to lean in and hold and support mm-hmm. and in this other case it feels like i could get hurt right and so to decide and with discernment and an open heart seems seems like a very um, practice of wisdom, if you will. I wanted to ask you, I know something about your work, but I would love for you to tell our listeners, um, how are you spending your life, your work time these days? Well, COVID has irrevocably changed everything that we know. It's really... Um, it's, it's kind of like how cream rises to the top of milk. Mm-hmm. Racial equity has just, 
it's it's there and you can't hide from it anymore. It, it is so glaringly obvious. And then this last year, we had the uprisings here in Minnesota after the murder of George Floyd. And it was really, that again brought, it was like, you can't hide from this anymore. It's there. And, and it, it sparked this global movement, you know, around the world. And um, people were protesting everywhere. And then you're trying to find that balance in your work, like how to make a stand and say, this isn't working anymore. And calling it out and naming it. And I, to, for me, this last year, it's really been about, in my work, it's about we need to reclaim our own narrative. And we're not going to let somebody tell our story for us anymore. We've started something called Social Media Allies, but we've made it real clear. We've defined what an ally is. And an ally, especially if you're not from the Native community and you're from another community, and especially if you're white, that you're opening doors for us to go and speak in places where we may not normally be invited. But you step aside and you let us speak for ourselves. We don't need you to talk for us. We don't need you to stand in front of us. Or there's an expression that they use, I hear elders say a lot, is that you don't walk in front of that prayer. You know, you don't step in front of it. And it's, it's, it's kind of, it's about reclaiming that space. And it's also saying these systems that we have around us, I'm, I'm just, I'm calling them out and they don't work for us. Right. Not equitable. What we have, what what's in what we carry with us, what's engraved in our languages, we have everything that we need right there. So it's really been about pushing that boundary of what we do know, our ways of knowing and being are way more adequate than these systems that have been imposed upon us. And we've been told that they're not good enough or that isn't how you do it because we survived for thousands of years before we had those messages coming at us. So I guess I'm getting kind of mouthy in my, I turned 67 this year. So my, I don't have much of a filter. Like, well, maybe I didn't when I knew you at Bali, I was probably starting to lose my filter, but I'm really losing my filter. And so I'm saying things that I normally wouldn't say. And, um, and I'm challenging. I, I think for me, this last year has been about saying it out loud, but also challenging norms, what people accept as norms, even in philanthropy. Yes. You know, if you're going to support communities of color and give them money, then that executive director, that board of directors needs to look like the community that you're serving. Yes. Not your low paying staff that are at minimum wage reflect the community that are being, you know, they're, they're not being groomed to grow into executive roles. And so I'm challenging people. I'm saying you need to get out of the way. You need to create a plan where you're mentoring these other people on your staff to move into your role. And, and that your board, you can't, it's not going to be acceptable anymore to tokenize people and go, oh, we're diverse. We have a black, check. We have a Hispanic, check. We have a native, check. Uh, we have a gay person, check. 
Right. You know, that isn't what diversity is. Diversity is really about having those people and those voices at the table that have the answers and solutions to the problems that their communities are facing. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much for kind of dropping gems of wisdom right away. And I, I will hold in my heart and in my mind this idea of you can't get in front of that prayer. What an evocative way to put it. What an important way to say it. I should also say just for our listeners that might not have the preference points, we met at what you just called Bali. And it's not that we met in the island of Bali. We met as part of a fellowship in an organization that was was then called the Business Alliance for Local Living Economies. And even as part of that fellowship, I was able to visit Minnesota and meet meet some of your people out, out there. And it was it was quite beautiful. And I think that's the next question I want to ask you. Um, just for the people that don't know you and you're working off, or even your background. When you say us, when you say your people, when you say what we know and what we have known, when you say we have survived, when you say to speak of our ways, um, what are you speaking of? Well, I'm just talking about my own. I'm Native. Mm-hmm. I'm a citizen of Cherokee Nation. And I wor- I've been working with Native people probably since the early 90s, really full time. And so it's really, I'm talking about our communities. And of course, I don't want people to think it's really hard because English expects you to say I, I, I. And I've been trying to say we, we, we more, even in, you know, like when I'm writing and um, it's, you know, it's kind of challenging. So when those references are made, I'm speaking more about we as people. But it's not like a broad sweeping, we're all the same, but right. we, we, there's things that we share, there's threads that link us, and that we have commonalities. And when I say that, I'm speaking more about where I come from, but also how I approach the work Beautiful. that I do. Yeah, yeah. That was always, from the day I met you, and never with an exception, you know, the idea that you... And the other amazing Native women that were in that fellowship, even though you're from different backgrounds and nations, there's a there's a worldview that is necessary, I think. And and I actually want to get into into the the we because if I had to like narrow in on the main my life's main calling, right? It's is to bring more of our attention to the we space, right? To the space that is alive between us. And, and I do it from what I know and from what I'm learning, right? As a, as a Puerto Rican, there's been a bigger gap from our native, uh, a, a bigger rupture, you know, from our native uh, traditions. Though, uh, I, this is a quick aside, and then we get back to the we space. We were told that the Taino people disappeared. Right? Yeah. But then you do like a genetic testing of Puerto Ricans and like 60% of us, you know, they, and it's like, how do you deny um, what is always there? It, uh, it's a very, it, it's a very strange thing. Let, let's actually, if you don't mind, talk about that first. That, that tendency or desire to erase 
the native how do you deal with that what do you how do you make sense of that well i think when i was a lot younger mm -hmm. i was really angry um and and i'm mixed mm -hmm. so i have some european in me from my father's side i have native from his mother and then native from my mother's family And I just remember I, someone said, well, you're going to have to embrace all of that. Hmm. And I wasn't willing to when I was younger. It really made me mad. You know, I don't understand it. It was, it had to do with power. It had to do with the land. Hmm. Um, there's a whole narrative that I'm not an expert to talk about it. I'm not really like a scholar or a student of this. But when a long time ago, the Catholic Church, they had the papal bull, and they divided the world up into sections. Mm. So when the Spanish conquered, you know, your country, South America, Mexico, they, they were given this right to proselytize or make these people Christian. And they took everything away from them. And they did it when they landed in the New World, um, the Spanish, because we had Spanish invasion in the southern parts of the country. Like our, my people lived on, the, originally lived on the southeastern coast of the, of, of the U.S. And so they ran into the Spaniards, the Pueblo people. And so, you know, my grandmother said something once, and I always just remember this. It, we were talking about something, and I won't go into what that conversation was, but she was petting her arm when she was talking to me. And she was just touching her arm when she was telling me a story that she remembered from when she was young. And then she said, our blood has a memory. Mm. And so it goes back to that very first spark of life. Of yes. We carry millennia of of dna in our body from our relatives and those memories and you know when people will go places sometimes and they'll go like i think i've talked with people that they didn't grow up around their community but the first time they they were near a drum it was like they felt like they were at home hmm. and so that was that blood memory that they carry in their body So, yeah, I don't believe the, the people are gone, um, yeah. even though they said, because that was the big lie, because then they could say they accomplished their mission. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And they, they, could, they, they could take over civilized. empty land, right? Empty land. Yeah. They could take over, quote unquote, empty land. And they were looking for gold. Yeah. You know, that was the big thing. And the fountain of life. I mean, there was some pretty crazy stuff. Those <laughs> yeah, days. yeah. So, you know, I mean, that's a whole nother story, but it, you know, that, and it's been perpetuated in the United States through the federal government. We're the only race that's identified in the U.S. Constitution, except they do talk about slaves. Yeah. But, you know, there, we have a trust relationship with the federal government, but the federal government has done everything between the federal government and the churches They have done everything in their power to completely wipe us off the face of the earth and take away that nativeness or indigenous, you know, indigenousness of us, uh, remove it and make us assimilate and become part of a healthy society. And we, we know that's not 
all that in a bag of chips. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. What a what a painful history and it only makes your presence and the folks that we know that much more beautiful and real. I, I will share a, a quick story with you and I have the wee space in the back of my head. I really want to get into that with you. But when you talked about memories in our blood, you know, I've, as we've talked about in the past, I work with different plant medicines from different mm -hmm. traditions. And twice in my life, I have worked with an African medicine called ibogaine. It's a root, it's an African mm -hmm. root found in the country, the land that is now called Gabon. And I bring it up because it's a long and arduous journey, like 24 hours, right? You can't move. It's it's not a light ceremony. But the medicine, you get visions of archetypal moments in human history, mm. you know? You get all these visions of like, the things that is like, humans leaving Africa, you know, or, or, or the violence beginning or, or the way in which women have been hurt for so long, or even you, you could even, I could even see the European ships living Europe and conquering. Right. So all of this is in, like you're saying, it's inside of us and the medicine and the ceremony is giving you the visions of it. So like, you know, you get to know more of who you are. And so, so, so your, your grandmother was speaking a truth that I have had the privilege of seeing with my heart's eye, you know? So thank you for, for giving it words. So this I and this we and this work to nurture or remember or even move from the we space. Tell me what you know about it. Tell me what you intuit and, and, Yeah, I know the language is limited, particularly English, but how could you help us understand what that means? Last year, I worked on a project with a Dakota speaker, and it's around cooperative development. And I, like I said, I've been really challenging all these things that I've grown up with, thinking, oh, they're okay. And I've spent a good part of my life, especially in my younger life, taking Western ideas and trying to indigenize them and, and they don't, it doesn't work very well. And so it's, I've gotten really resistant to it. So I worked with this young man and I should say, he's like my son's age. He's like 46. And um, he's a first speaker from Sioux Valley in Canada. And um, I shared with him about this vision that I'd had And he didn't quite get it at first. So it took a long time. You know, when you work with a first speaker, they think differently, probably like you with Spanish. <laughs> you probably take in English and something happens where you turn it around and then you, you know, then it yes. goes out in English. But it comes in when you hear it, your Spanish brain is probably speaking, you know, as it's listening yes. to it. So it took a while because a lot of times what happens with our first speakers, people go to them and they give them an English word and they just want a translation. Mm -hmm. Well, I didn't want that. I wanted to go deeper into the actions. And so when I was working with this gentleman, he was training my staff and he was showing us how you develop a cooperative. And it was a very linear model. And when he was talking, I saw, I saw the headwaters of the Mississippi 
It huh. starts at this at this lake, and it's the Mississippi is just this little trickle of water, and then it flows north, and it flows east, and then it flows south. So it flows through Lake Bemidji, and it travels, you know, up in that area before it turns into this big mighty river, and it it separates. And so what I saw was the headwaters was the beginning of the process of a cooperative. And then the waters kind of go this way. And like in a cooperative, you're working, you're working on communication and education. And over here, you're working on business. And then those things are happening simultaneously. And then the water comes back together. Mm. And then you've, you know, you're, you're back together with all your work that you've worked on these sides when the river went its own way, it comes back together and everything is whole. So when he finally got it, I learned so much from the Dakota language. The language, um, our native languages are verbs. They're verb-driven, they're action-driven, they're not nouns. And so it's always talking. So when you ask somebody for a simple translation, sometimes that word means even more. So like a word for truth, you know, in English, it's real black and white. Yeah. In native language, it means if it comes from your heart and it leaves your mouth, therefore it's true. Wow. It isn't black and white like English. So because it started in your heart and it leaves your mouth, it's true. You may not agree with that person, but they're speaking their truth because it because of where it started. Wow. And, and so that's the things that are different. So though, I, I hope I'm answering your question. No, no, I love this. This okay. you really are. Thank you. It's But what was so beautiful was, you know, when we get into these problems of financing, and capitalizing businesses. One of the things that we always take for granted that we have, we're very philanthropic people. So you, an example is, let's say somebody travels a long way to come to witness something. Like maybe it's a naming ceremony or someone's being honored by a community and they travel a long ways. What people will do is they'll put a blanket on the floor and the drum will sing a song and everybody dances around that blanket and they put money in it so that person can travel back home. Or if it's more than one person, we take care of them. And the other thing that we do is we practice the giveaway. And so that giveaway, really when you look back at it, it was our first banking system. Mm -hmm. And it's a way that we redistribute wealth in our communities. Oh. So it's really powerful. And when we were working on this, and the other thing is when you're in a Western frame of mind, everything's very finite. And so with, with the model that this gentleman shared with me, there were different places during the work where it said where he went, go, no go. Like it was so finite. You either do it or you don't do it. Well, in our language, when, we, when we're thinking from that worldview, we're not thinking that finite. What we're thinking is, okay, how will this impact the unborn generations? Mm -hmm. If we pursue with this, 
what do we need to change and what kind of impact will it have on our community, our environment, and those that are yet to be born? And so it's not a yes, no, or do or don't do, or go or don't go. It's a time that you stop. And sometimes I call it when we do that counterclockwise motion. Beautiful. It's to bring yourself back into balance. Wow. So you stop and you do a counterclockwise. So counterclockwise to me would be clockwise to you. And to Lakota people, it would be, they always say I'm doing it backwards, but that's (laughs) things where I'm from. But so that is how, you know, that those are some things that we were able to really bring in native thought. And we, I had a graphic designer, she did a map of the mountain and he, I mean, of the river, and he actually put an island in the center because that's the place where the birth of human beings began in between the water was in the island. Mm-hmm. And so he was talking about the birth of an idea that would help a community to, to thrive and to prosper. And, um, and talked about that sacred fire, the fires lit, mm-hmm. human is being born. And so it's like, it's a new time and it was, it's really beautiful. So it, We've been sharing it around the country with people. Beautiful. Show them how they can use their own language, their own ways of being into the development of what they want to create for if it's a business or a a cooperative or whatever. We don't have to leave those things. Those are things that are precious about us and how we think and do things. That is potent. Thank you so much for sharing it. I, I'm so glad I asked. It's such a such wisdom to hold and to bring forward and 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 to keep alive, you know. In my experience, so I've been in social movements all of my life. That's where most of my work has been held. And I know, I'm sure that native folk my age and younger have been doing the work all along. But as far as kind of the national scene is concerned, there seems to be a, a more more visibility. More people are saying, "Where let's let's make sure the native voices are in. Let's let's make sure that that perspective is here." So, so even though I'm sure native folk have always been around, right, and, and working for freedom, there's more of an awareness, right, in the in the other parts of the social movements and. It's coming with so much energy and so much power and so much excitement, you know? And I'm just wondering, what are you seeing among people kind of taking their place right now in this multi-generational struggle for liberation? What's exciting you? What are you noticing? Oh, my gosh. Well, when we had the uprisings after George Floyd was murdered, Mm -hmm. our people walked arm in arm with the Black Lives Matter movement. So they were there to show support. They weren't there to say that Native lives matter too. Mm-hmm. They were there to support the people. And, and this was during the pandemic. And one of my friends, oh, just I, she was working with me at the time. Her name is Jada Gray Eagle. She's just this beautiful young woman. She went home and she, because she was worried that everybody was out during COVID and it was, it, it was in the midst of, it was so highly contagious here in Minnesota at that time. And people were, I mean, we're talking 
thousands and thousands of people that were marching together. And she went home and she made mass, she and her friend. And they put, I can't breathe. And she, she figured people would wear them. So she was handing them out so that people would be safe because she wanted to be out there and feel safe with people and not get sick because, you know, that, that was the one thing that I've seen. What I see with some of the younger people, they are just not putting up with nonsense. I kind of come from a generation and even my, the generation ahead of me, there was a, a certain amount of being invisible to be safe. So don't draw attention to yourself. Don't stir things up. Make your kids be quiet. You know, like if you're living in a building, um, just don't argue with people. Don't, you know, it's okay within group, but don't argue with those people outside, you know, outside of your community. Lay low. And so I, I feel like what's happening, what I'm really excited to see is that, um, people are speaking up and they're speaking out and they're they're saying they don't want to be tokenized they don't want to be marginalized they don't want to be overlooked anymore that they have something of value to contribute even our native businesses i remember even five years ago they, they didn't want anyone to really know what they were doing and now i see these businesses that are really proud of what they're doing and how they're taking care of themselves, their family. They're making opportunities for people in their community and they're not hiding. You know, they're, they're not, they're, they're okay with being in front of people or being seen. So there's a, there's a lot of different movements. There, there's something here um, in Minnesota, it's called, we are still here. And it was actually done with the work from, oh, now I'm going to forget her name and I feel really bad. Um, it'll come to me. She did a report for First Nations development. And it was about all the, with the report on her organization is called Illuminative. Oh, I've heard of Illuminative. Yes. Yeah. And so they've been really doing a lot. But what happened with that We Are Still Here report it caused a group of people to come together here in Minnesota and they're really challenging things like Indian education for all, how we're portrayed in the media or not portrayed in the media and changing that narrative and, you know, taking a place um, with people and not being afraid to say something and not being afraid to speak up or speak out. So I just see people, you know, doing things in their communities you know, together with, with friends and family uh, to, to make change. Yeah. And one of the things that when I did the research on the, the Indigenous guide that I was talking about that we produced with the, the map of the river, when I was interviewing um, these Native-led cooperatives around the country and up in Canada, what really excited me was that I saw a new form of cooperativism that was emerging that was really an agent, change agent for decolonization, for bringing language back, for promoting cultural lifeways. And, and I see that being woven into the kind of the warp and the weft of the blanket that they're creating for their community. I hate to interrupt the good conversation. Thank you for listening. I hope you're enjoying it. I'll be brief. 
I'm just asking that if you're finding meaning in this podcast episode, you consider emailing it or texting it to a friend. We're not trying to reach everybody, but we want to make sure that your friends, that the right people get engaged in this conversation with remarkable leaders who are devoting their lives to the evolution of consciousness and culture. Thank you again. That's exciting. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. What a It's such an interesting moment because there's been so much darkness, right? From the pandemic and all the death and to the the administration that we've just had and and yet there's also all of this co-arising possibility, yeah. you know, and people coming together. You know, I I'm Puerto Rican and I moved at the age of 12 to Western Massachusetts, to an industrial corner of, of a land, a part, part of the land that is not very industrialized. Um, and there you have, you have multiple, you have like at least three generations of Puerto Rican and you have multi-generational poverty, right? Mm-hmm. And you have a kind of poverty that, you know, generally speaking, speaking in broad terms, other migrant people come, other Latino migrant people come, and they seem to to get ahead in a way that that we haven't. So I'm just kind of establishing that this question of the socioeconomic indicators and and the way the poverty, but also all the all the negative things that can come with that, from the mental health to to the drug abuse to all of these things that 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 can happen. I'm not saying that it's, that it's always there, but the patterns that, that we can see um, can be so dire uh, and so hard to work with. And of course we're not giving up, but the, the, at least the caricature, right? What, yeah. what comes to us about native communities is that they, they share similar socioeconomic indicators. There are similar struggles with generational poverty and substance and, and this this the vestiges of oppression really right like mm-hmm. it, it, it does have a negative impact on our peoples and our communities and I, I'm just wondering I'm just wondering what you can tell us about how you contend with that is it you know like how do you deal with that narrative or that story you know and this is probably I'm a half glass full person is that I really try to look at what are the assets in our community and what are the things that keep us strong. Yes. And there's so much that happens that people don't, that isn't visible um, to people. Um, Like we have these people in our communities, I'd call them informal leaders. They're, They're servant leaders. They're those people that they're always trying to get people to come together. They'll give them a ride somewhere. They bring them. There was this man that I worked with uh, last when it was before COVID and everybody has a nickname and his, his nickname was Buddha. And I just love him because he's one of these men on the reservation that everybody loves. He has a really good people trust him and he wanted his people to get knowledge about grant writing and how they could work together and help each other come together and, and do some things that they've been talking about that needs to be done in their community And so I came and I did a training, I don't know, for maybe five days. And, you know, I think about people like him and we have those people all over our communities that are really doing things like they're helping people with 
you know, there, there's women that are working with women that have been abused or women that are dealing with drug addiction and they're doing community feasts, sober feasts. And they're, you know, they're doing things like that to celebrate change. And, and again, when I think about our nations, we, we really, even though we've been around forever, we were not allowed to govern ourselves until the early 90s. So we're really like new countries. We're, we're like countries within the United States. And so we're just, we're just figuring all those things out for us. All of the, I would say probably 95% of the laws that were written in Congress were really meant to keep us in poverty, to keep us impoverished, to keep, they're, they're, that's systematic racism. That's institutionalized systematic racism. And, you know, and I, I really feel that what happened last year with George Floyd and the other people around the country that were murdered is that people have, they've kind of peeled that, like, who's behind the veil, you know, and, and they're calling out that boogie person that has been getting away with doing that and, and sending those messages to our communities. And then when you think about your community, even though it's been impoverished, I bet there's great generosity yes. in the community. There's people coming together to share food, um, to help take care of each other's children. Yes. And so, and I, and I found that sometimes people with less money are way more generous than somebody that has a nice salary. Yes. Give you their last dollar, you know, to help you. And, you know, and you see somebody that makes a big salary and they're the least philanthropic. And so those are the things that I see that in spite of all of that, we're still thriving. Yeah. Thank you so much. We're moving beyond survival. Yeah. Thriving. That is, that is, uh, I'm so, I got goosebumps, you know, like the fact that you just, refuse to even address you know what I mean you're like no there's there's gift there's assets there's goodness it's it's this idea that where we place our attention that's what grows you know I one of my favorite sayings is you know the grass is always greener Mm -hmm. not on the other side it's always greener where you water it, right? Where, where your attention <laughs> That's true. That's true. I like that. And it really is, there's terms that the U.S. government uses. And I just, I am finding myself more and more resistant. I hate the word underserved and marginalized because we're not underserved. We're completely overlooked. So there's a big difference between being underserved and marginalized and just totally left out of the conversation altogether. Yeah. And so I, that's something I'm really challenging. I, I just will not use those words. And, you know, I was on a call about a month ago and it was about creating wealth. And, and we have a real hard time using that word wealth mm-hmm. because it conjures up greed and selfishness and not sharing. And so I use the word prosperity because prosperity, if, if your community's prospering, it's not just economic, it's social, it's cultural, it's physical, it's mental, it's spiritual. You know, when you're prospering, you get balanced in those other areas of your life. And um, they were talking, there was a person talking about, and of course it was pointed at, 
people that are traditionally what they call poor or low wealth. I don't even like that word either. We got, we're always trying to come up with these politically correct words to, to just say it bothers me that we do that. But, and I said, I don't like the word financial literacy because I said it really is saying that that person is illiterate. Mm-hmm. And I know women, and I've been that woman that raised three children with nobody's help. And I kept the lights on. I had food on the table every night. My kids had clothes on their back. I had gas in my car so I could get back and forth to work. You know, and I I think I managed, I was much more financially literate than somebody that had access to 10 or 15 credit cards. Right. The six-figure salary. So I really challenged that because... When you say that, you're making an assumption because somebody didn't have the same white privilege that they're illiterate. That's right. Because they're poor. Therefore, because they're poor, you know, they they don't know how to handle money. And I don't agree with that. That's great. Thank you for that reminder. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's so important. It is where our attention is and what we see and refuse to see. You know, there you are my mom's age, and I actually recently lost my grandmother some months ago. Not lost a grandmother, but gained an ancestor, right? A powerful mm-hmm. one. But I bring them up because when I visit, you know, I'm just kind of sitting around, and they'll just sit next to me or walk by me and drop some gem of knowledge or wisdom, you know? Mm-hmm. And and I had I had a similar experience with you, right? I felt like what you we would just be talking, and you would tell me something that would be like, "Well, that's that's interesting, and and that's meaningful." And one of the things I wanted to ask you about was sage, right? And uh, I want to talk a little bit more about the relationship that you have with that medicine. And what struck me was the memory that I have. Among we talked about sage more and medicine many times, but that you, you sometimes even just have it behind your ear, right? Like I yeah, think one- like right here, inside. Yeah, right, right there, right? And sometimes you think of sage as just something you burn, right? And like, mm-hmm. so I would love for you to tell me more about, about that, about the relationship with that medicine and- Well, what I was told is that it helps you to remember to listen. Ah. So that is the reason why you take that sage and you put it up inside your ear. So like if you're in ceremony, it protects you, but it also helps you to listen. I put cedar in my shoes. And so that protects my footsteps. Wow. You know, so it's not about like a boogeyman out there or anything like that, but it's just about when I'm walking, that I'm walking in a good way. hmm protecting my steps. I remember I had tobacco fixed for me when I was younger and and the prayer that he put into that tobacco for me was that everywhere that I went when I put my hand out that another hand would reach back and take my hand. Wow. And so that that the work I was doing in the community would be it would prosper. And so I, you know, I think about those things like when sometimes when I pray, when I'm working on something, I just ask the creator to bless my hands with the work that I'm doing. And I don't always do a good job at it, but, you know, to have good thoughts 
you know, some days I just don't have good thoughts. I'm just crabby, but, (laughs) but it's that it's thinking that way. (laughs) So beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. And I love this. I mean, these are things that I might take on myself, right? (laughs) This, this is deep and important wisdom. When I, visit Tuesday Tuesday you know Tuesday and she's she's my love and when I visit her in her community in Columbus Ohio there's this there's this park this forest that is for walking and and there are these mounds there and the Mm. mounds are from the previous the people that that lived there (laughs) a long time ago you know and so I always go say a prayer there and now we're like bringing tobacco there, right? And just establishing and honoring the relationship. You know, it's just finding ways to to be in tune and be aware and, and, and be connected. And I'm just curious about, you just drop some good gems from the cedar <laughs> to, the, to the tobacco, to the sage. And I'm just wondering, what else can you tell me about your practice, your spiritual practice? How do you stay connected to to the mystery and to the truth and to the past and the future? Well, when I got sick, mm-hmm. when I was diagnosed with breast cancer, right after I had surgery, I had a lumpectomy and I didn't know what was going to happen. So, but before I had that surgery and it, and it, the surgery happened pretty quick. Like it was like maybe four weeks after my diagnosis, I was in having surgery. And then right after that, everything shut down. And you know, a lot of my friends were going, we'll take you to Canada. I'll take you over here to this medicine man. Oh, I have this medicine man you can go see. And what I realized was all the years that I've been learning from different elders, different teachers that have been a part of my life, native and non-native, you know, I've, there's things that they've shared that wisdom with me that I've hung on to. And I just remembered that I had a really good friend that passed away a couple of years ago. And she always said that we carry our medicine in our heart. That's where our medicine is. And that we have everything we need right here. And so when I prayed and when I drank the water um, and I, and I was influenced by an elder, Josephine Mandamon, who she's passed away, but that woman carried water in a copper bucket all around the world. She's just this beautiful Ojibwe elder. She had this relationship with the water that was really beautiful and mm-hmm. teachings. And one of the things that I did when I drank the water every morning was when I drank it, I was real purposeful. And I have to remember that, you know, and I catch myself like when I'm having that first glass of water in the morning to give thanks to that that it's giving me life, that it's going to keep, it's going to, it's going to keep me healthy. It's going to wash my organs and keep them healthy. Even when I take a shower, Mm. pray that those things that you're carrying, that that water will clean them because water's universal. It's a universal teaching. And I, I don't think it's anything special. I mean, as far as like spirituality goes or a way of practicing, but that's what I did when I found out I was sick. And then the other thing that I did was that I used a lot of imagery. And when I prayed, I asked the creator and I sent light to where that cancer was. And I asked for that cancer to be just dissolved in the light Mm -hmm. for it to be taken. And it was. 
Mm. Well, I was, you know, I, I came back with a diagnosis of being disease free after the surgery, but it's those little things. And it, I, you know, the other thing, this is something that I have to remember when I get some days when, you know, when you get busy, Mm -hmm. I get busy and then I get really like, it's just my personality that I have to be care. I have to watch out for, but an elder told me one time, she said, what do you do when somebody gives you a gift? like something that they made with their own hands or they really put a lot of thought in it. She goes, what do you do with that gift? And I go, well, I I put it in a special place so I can see it and I can look at it because they did that, especially for me. And, 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 you know, I put it in a place of honor. She goes, you need to be doing that with the creator every day and thanking the creator for your gift of life. Wow. And so so, Yeah. And it, it, it's such a simple thing. Yes. What I found for me is that spirituality is, it's the simple things in life for me personally. It's those simple things like being grateful, being aware of how I behave when I'm walking on mother earth or when I'm drinking water or how I'm using water, even my words. And I, I wish I could say I do a good job, but I don't, I get mouthy sometimes and just get crabby but you know it's those kinds of things that keep me healthy so and and to me it's really simple I think a lot of times people think oh native spirituality there's all this magic and and it's really for me it's really practical yeah and magic happens when we believe amen I hope yes I um I wanted to ask thank you let me just gonna pause and receive that because I think that's real and important for me and for our listeners to hold. So thank you for that. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned your illness and being okay now, and we, we talked about it a little bit on before the call. And is there anything that you know when one comes? when one has a scare like that, right? Like we see new things, right? Mm -hmm. We see things more clearly. Is there any wisdom from that that you can share with us? Any, any seeing, any, any, any gems from that experience? Well, one of the things was my life was out of balance Mm -hmm. and I was working way too hard and not playing enough. Mm-hmm. I was taking things too seriously. And the other thing that I would, something that was very significant was that I realized there were some people I hadn't forgiven. And I thought that I had, I had, but I took it back. <laughs> Human being, it's like, okay, I forgive you. Oh, wait a minute. I'm taking that one back. You just made me mad. I'm taking that forgiveness ticket back from you. Yeah. And I'm shredding it. And so that was something I was listening to some music by Tina Turner and it was a chant. And so I went to the website because I wanted to download it because I thought I could listen to this all day long. And on her site, she had this man who had a book about the four pillars of forgiveness that you could download for free. And it had worksheets in it. And I, the worksheets were so helpful. And that was really where I, it helped me adjust my thinking around forgiveness and also forgiveness of self. So I realized that, you know, we have the capability of making ourselves sick. 
we also have the capability of making ourselves well. And so that was probably what I saw. The, I mean, the first thing I asked that cancer is, what am I supposed to learn? Why are you here and what am I supposed to learn from this? So that was what I had to do. Beautiful. Thank you so much. You just... You're just dropping gems today. I'm so <laughs> grateful. I'm so grateful. I'll share, I, you know, when you talk about forgiveness, uh, I am on the path of sobriety, right? Uh, and uh, one of the things I learned in that path is that resentment, like of all, you know, when you do your inventory, mm-hmm. um, resentment is the first thing you got to look at. And it's just like, resentment will drive you back. You can't yeah. have resentment and be sober. Like you need, you need to work on your resentment all the time. Like, and I, I was, I knew resentment was bad, yeah. but it was amazing how it souls in this particular path. It's 12 steps, 12 step program. It's like primary. It's like the main that you do got to take care of that first, you know, mm-hmm. uh, so be, before you fail other failings of character, before whatever sexual misbehavior is resentment, which I find so interesting. And, and I do find forgiveness to be such a, such a healing path, you know? I wanted to, to ask you, you know, just a couple more, couple more things while we're still here. So I love that you've spoken about elders, you know? And you always do that. <laughs> yeah. By the way, I have a beautiful picture of you with a, with a Josephine shirt on, <laughs> it's uh, I, I, that you wore to one of our one of our convenings. So, <laughs> yes, I have that. I cherish that. You speak of the elders every time, you know, your grandmother and others, and you know, you're you're said you're sixty seven. You know, what have you learned? Like, what kind of elder are you seeking to be? You know, how do you want to embody that role that that we know is so sacred and that I feel in Western culture is not, at least in contemporary United States, mm-hmm. is not given enough attention, you know? And, and so that's why that's why the kids are lost. That's why, right? Because we don't have that. So I'm wondering, what are you learning about embodying that role? What matters there? Man, I wish I could do it. I don't think I'm there yet, but... I had an incident happen recently and I'm not going to go into detail about it, but I, what, what it really made me think of was what would my elders do? What would my grand, how would my grandparents talk about this situation and how would they treat these people that they're trying to change their behavior? And it's a, a business that had, had made their living off of cultural appropriation and they were saying, we want to change this. We, we want to own it. We want to change it. And, you know, and I thought so many times, I think because of colonization and assimilation, we can be really mean to people. And, and I think of the elders that I had around me, even when I really messed up, they never, they never did, they never shamed me in front of people. Mm-hmm pulled me aside and I got a talking to. 
I knew I was in trouble. I was no, there was no uh, missing that boat at all. It was very obvious that I had done a faux pas and they were letting me know in a very kind and patient way. I hope I can be that person. And I've tried. Um, I, I try to do that with people that sometimes even some of our younger Native people, I had an incident happen with a, a younger Native woman and I I just, I needed to tell her that I didn't want her attacking people in our social media, you know, and I, I didn't agree with it and I felt it was hurtful and she really was really disrespectful and I thought, wow, you know, that's going to come back and hurt her. And I know that in my life, when I got that way, when I was younger, it does come back. So I hope I can be that kind of person that I think some of the things that I've cherished about a lot of the favorite elders that I've known over the years is that I hope I become that person that sees worth in everything. You know, like I'm not black and white, but that I see the worth even in a difficult situation that there's, I can see something good that can come out of it and not shut it off and be, always remember to be compassionate with people because we're all at different places in our lives. Yeah, that's, that's, this is why one of the main, one of the reasons why I think we have such a strong connection and bond. I think we share these values and, and it is something that I find dangerous and problematic in, in, in the spaces, in the social movement spaces and the kind of discourse of our time. It seems like we're wielding all of this analysis, you know, which is important, mm-hmm. but we're using it to indulge hatefulness, you know? We're wielding shame as a, as a weapon to silence others even if they have hurt us, you know, and I am so concerned that we risk losing our very humanity in the process of trying to get free. And then it's not worth it, yeah. right? If we're less compassionate and less human and less big hearted in this toil, then then we will have we will already have lost too much. And I, what you're saying really moves me and and you know, it, it is one of the reasons why I'm very seriously evaluate now more and more so what spaces am I willing to be a part of and what work am I willing to do? Because I don't I don't want to stand for this. I don't want to be a part of this. I, I'm kind of a, a bigger, a higher demand on people, you know, that are looking for freedom. And I know it's going to be a path for fewer, for the few, but we got to keep it. We got to keep that path alive. So I'm just so grateful for, for the way you put that. We're coming towards a close, Pamela. And I have a, a question that I ask every time. Okay. Every guest, you know, I ask two every time. I'm going to ask this one first. I'm going to flip it. Um, so I invite the people, the person to, to take a leap forward in their imagination. 20 years, you know, <laughs> and you have accomplished certain things and, some things you have not, and you're just at a different moment in your life and you're observing, right? And, and you don't have to tell me what's happening, but I'm wondering if you came back from there, from those 20 years, if you came back from there to this moment, you know, what would you say to yourself? And what would you say to us 20 years hence with that wisdom and that work? 
Oh, that's a loaded question. <laughs> I was just thinking about where I'd be in 20 years and what I'm hoping for is I'm working with a group of women to buy a piece of land together and have a housing cooperative. Nice, beautiful. So that we can all live together and garden and our grandchildren can be with us and, you know, that we can watch over one another. So I guess, I don't know what I would, that's a big question. I'd have to really give that some thought before I could answer it. I, you know, I know one thing that always happens, you know, like when you kind of like what you know now, what would you tell your younger yeah. self? And, you know, it's kind of like um, everything has its own time and its own place. Yes. I feel like we just have to trust and do the very best that we can do because this is a time, a period of time that there is a lot of tension and, and it, it can be a rebirth or it can just blow up, you know, it, I don't know. But I, I think that for me, that all I could say is that as an individual person, I have to do my best and remember that and to be kind and choose my words carefully and, um, and be helpful to other people, encourage people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, that, that to me is probably something that I could say if I was to come back is always remember to celebrate other people's accomplishments. Because when we do that, we're, we're raising everything for all of us when we celebrate each other. Yes, thank you. That we each hold and not be afraid to say it out loud. That's right. I am again 100% with you on that. I, I do have to say when you said we just have to trust, that has been a message that has been coming to me in every spiritual practice. I had a ceremony, a birthday ceremony at the end of February. And ever since, it's like from every angle, therapy, medicine, this dialogue practice that I do, the constant message is like God has a megaphone and is saying, Trust, you have to trust. you, And it's amazing. When you start to practice, I imagine myself as somebody that trusts, but when you really start to take it seriously, you start to see all the places in which you still want to control things. You still want to run things. And, and trust is such a big part of, of like letting God do what God does and just submit to it quite literally, you know, surrender towards that. So... I'll take that with me, that and, and the encouragement for sure, the encouragement of others, which I try to practice. I will, I will. So here's the last question. Okay. Um, and then if there's anything you want us to know before we let you go. So the other thing I ask is in these times, in this kind of post me too moment, right? As, as the stuff that men do has become harder to hide, right? I, I do work with men. I seek to atone for my own sins, my own mistakes of patriarchy, you know? And so one question that I love to ask um, powerful women such as yourself uh, is what should men do, right? In these times as we try to become better, as we try to be, become more conscious, what do you think men should do? I think men just need to come in 
they need to come into contact with themselves and their own hearts and allow themselves to feel and not shut it off or compartmentalize. And the other thing I always remind men is that when you're, when you're dealing with women, remember they're life givers and to treat them with the respect of someone that gave you life and brought you into the world. And without them, you wouldn't be here. So, and I believe we need each other. I know sometimes there's movements where it really is trying to cancel out men. And I think that men have been, in, in many ways, especially our men of color, have been oppressed. And so they've lost their way. And it's about how do you find your way back to who you are and find good men to talk to, you know, that are going to support you and encourage you and also call you on your shit when they need to. And, and I think that's a job that men do with each other. Um, I, I know that women, there's teachings that men have that we don't have as women. And so they, they need to seek out other men for those kinds of, that kind of help. So that's the best I can do. That's beautiful. No, that is medicine. That is medicine. I'm so honored that you would take the time and the care to answer. And I'm a man always learning. I bring men together and I have a son. So I'm just deeply grateful. Uh, I'm deeply grateful for this, this kind of sacred time together. So beautiful. I'm just curious before we say goodbye, uh, is there anything you want to say? Where can people find you or find out about your work? Anything you want to tell us? Well, I don't think people need to find me, but. <laughs> 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 but no, but what I wanted to say to you is I just want to thank you and, and to just let you know how much I've always appreciated that beautiful heart of yours and uh, that you know, that sense of inquiry and curiosity that you carry with you and that light and also that humor and also that naughtiness. That's one of the things I just, you know, just that teasing and that playfulness that we, we need. And laughter is medicine. It is. And teasing and being naughty, that's medicine. <laughs> that's exactly it humanizes right. us, you know, so... What I want to say is I just love the human being that you are. And I'm really grateful that the creator, that our paths crossed, because it wasn't by accident. And I'm, I'm so glad I got to spend some time with you because I've really missed you. Yes. Yeah. So, thank you so thank much, you. Pamela. I got goosebumps. I feel it in my heart. <laughs> I, I mess, This is how I measure my life, right? If I, if the quality of humans that I that I get to spend time with and connect with and you are you are, you your existence in my life tells me that I'm doing something right oh, there's something right well so, I feel the same about you so you thank you so much thank you for what you do thank you for your time and your care okay and let's keep going let's just keep talking I appreciate you immensely all right bye if you get this far into the podcast it is because you get what we're trying to do Thank you so much for the gift of your attention. I, I would like to ask that right now you consider a friend or maybe two people that would resonate with this effort and send them an email or a text. Invite them to listen. 
We're not trying to reach everybody, but we want to make sure that we do get to the right people, to the people that want to be a part of this project of evolution of consciousness and culture. And we know that social media is a crowded place, that email inboxes are just so full of things, and that the only way uh, good messages really get around is peer-to-peer, friend-to-friend. Your endorsement is what will matter, your personal care and connection. The idea here is to make this work more sustainable and to invite people into potential experiments that will help us reimagine better ways of being together in this world. I am already grateful for your attention and I hope you'll give time to some endorsements. Before I go, I want to shout out Jade Madrone, who's been working with me for many years and is key to making this podcast happen, as well as my other friend, Will Renderos of Audio Chemists, who is essential part of this production team. Thank you for being in community. Stay tuned.